Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. You can take your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians in the fifth chapter. We're going to look at one phrase in verse 16 that's familiar to many of you as we study tonight. I just give a personal testimony of my eyewitness um, of a shepherd of you in the past nine months. I think I know I've never seen um, the Spirit of God grow in spiritual maturity, a congregation, our congregation, as I have in the last nine months. I'm so thankful for uh, the way you've grown. As I said this morning in the family time, um, you've allowed the grace of God to just uh, effervesce in your lives, and thank you for, for growing. But we all know that when we're growing a lot, uh, often... Uh, that growth is birthed from, and God's grace allows this, it's birthed from having uh, had the opportunity to go through some layered trials, and in those trials, uh, the dross of our lives, the, uh, the ugliness of our sinful self is exposed during those trials. And by the indwelling of the Spirit of God, he's able to convict us of that is those uglinesses when they arise in the midst of trial and I can speak for myself in the past nine months having gone through similar uh, to somewhat varied trials as many of you have that uh, my own flesh was uh, exposed and I'm so thankful for the indwelling of the spirit that was able to prompt my conscience to uh, deal with those vices and and to know that forgiveness was available uh, by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and then have the opportunity to be grown uh, by grace uh, towards Christ-likeness. And um, growth comes both ways. And to God be the glory, great things he's done in that regard. And uh, long before uh, tonight, I had been thinking often about this familiar phrase in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 that we'll devotionally expound on this evening for the remainder of our time together. Before we read this familiar phrase, let's pray together and ask God's blessing on the uh, declaration of his word tonight. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for inspiring and preserving your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to investigate a morsel of that tr truth this evening. We approach your word, Lord, with prepared hearts. And we worship you, Lord, uh, in the hearing of your proclaimed word and in the application of it to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, uh, the first line says, But I say, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. One of my favorite authors that I was reading recently said this. We aren't to live holy to get saved. We're saved to be holy. We're not to live holy to get saved. But we're saved to be holy. 
I love that quote in relationship to the context that's right here in front of us in Galatians. Paul's been compelled by the Spirit to do something no pastor ever wants to do in this letter. He needs to confront the church for flirting with doctrinal error. Here, soteriological doctrinal error. Doctrinal error in relationship to the gospel or the content of the gospel or saving faith. As many of you know, the Galatian church has been giving too much time to the Jews who taught salvation by circumcision and adherence to Mosaic law. And as a church, they again began to adopt a works-based salvation. Paul rebukes the flock of Galatia in chapter 1, and his rebuke is resolute and it's clear. To associate with work salvation apart with grace, by grace alone and by faith alone in Christ is to bring a curse on the church itself. And the church is to be cursed, as Paul says in chapter 1. The Galatian church had known salvation through Christ alone, through the preaching of Christ. They personally knew their spiritual inward transformation of heart had nothing to do with them and everything to do with grace. And when Paul declares this command to walk in the Spirit, he, pract he practically reinforces that by reminding them of the positional truth that they enjoyed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's teaching, since you cannot be saved in your own strength, you certainly can't walk in your own strength with God's towards holiness and Christ's likeness. The emphasis on this reality is clear in this letter, and we'll see that as we move towards this one familiar line in this new paragraph in chapter 5. The security a believer enjoys by being baptized into Christ by the Spirit of God at salvation is consuming and comforting. To be declared forever in Christ as a joint heir with him brings great joy and confidence to the Christian heart, so much so that if it, it, often, it can often become our tendency to assume our growth in holiness will happen without personally disciplining ourselves to daily fully dependence on the strength of the Holy Spirit for growth in the same. Yes, we are not to live holy to get saved. We are saved to be holy. This living in holiness is exclusively dependent on our dependence on the divine ability of the Holy Spirit who indwells us to give us aid. I think it would be good to gain a little context this morning by reading a few verses in chapter 5 itself. If you go back with me to verse 1, Paul says it was... For freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. This would have been the load of the slavery of work salvation, adherence to the Mosaic system in order to find salvation. He says in verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. That's to keep it perfectly. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. 
You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. If you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not, for you were called for free, to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, for, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But this I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Saving faith set us from the yoke of bondage, set us free from the yoke of bondage of the law. It set us free from the bondage of salvation by works. Grace set us from having to perform to get saved or perform to stay saved. Saving faith by miraculous grace alone transformed us in Christ once for all when we were born again. That's exclusive truth in this context. And saving faith is all of God in Christ. And so now, Paul teaches our dependence on the Holy Spirit is essential for the development of the character of Christ as the Spirit dwells within us. Notice Paul does not uh, give negative commands here regarding the Spirit. He's said in other letters that we are to not quench the Spirit and don't grieve the Spirit. But what he's discussing here is the opportunity that we have positively to walk by the Spirit. He's exclusively saying, friends, that the Spirit of God and His omnipotent power regenerated us. He's indwelled us. And He has given us the spiritual energy, if you will, exclusively sourced in Him to walk in holiness. And He's asking us here to be dependent upon the Spirit of God to live this righteous and holy way. There's three simple Truths here, as he says, walk by the Spirit, and he says this in a positive way. Uh, I'm going to just call this an opportunity that we have, a divine opportunity that we have that's positive. And I'm going to describe this opportunity in three simple ways. First of all, this divine opportunity has a direction to it, it has a direction to it. And secondly, it's got a struggle, to be sure. And thirdly, it certainly has a joy. A direction, a struggle, and a joy. Walking is a healthy habit. You're being inundated with ads on your phones, your devices, your televisions in the beginning of a new year as we are every year. Uh, 
about dieting and exercising. And one of the most fundamental ways to stay healthy or to be healthy is by walking. You may have gotten the new um, Apple Watch for Christmas, or you may have gotten an updated Fitbit, and you're tracking your steps. Recently, we were in a large city, and in one day, we were able to take 30,000 steps, and that was, that was quite a day, <laughs> quite a long day with some sore feet at the end, but it was such a benefit to see the, the beauty of the city and to learn the rich history of that city. Um, took some toil and some pain, uh, but it was certainly well worth it. Walking implies going forward. Paul tells us here, walk by the Spirit. In contrast to, in contrast to being under the bondage of the law, that's why he says here at the beginning of verse 16, there's this adversative here, but I say. In contrast to living under the weight of something that's impossible, trying to live the law perfectly, let's walk by the Spirit in this forward direction. And the grammar here tells us that this is something that's a lifestyle. This is something that we're able to do by the Spirit of God on a daily, continual basis. Okay. Paul directly ties organic growth towards holiness here to spiritual protection against performance-based or results-based Christianity. It's very, very clear here in the Galatian church that they stopped walking by the Spirit the more they gave ear to religious Judaizers. It's a great lesson for me, it's a great lesson for you that if we're not going to follow this um, present active indicative command here of walking by the Spirit, one of our first tendencies as people of faith is to become performance-based Christians giving way to being tempted by a false gospel. That's what happened to the Galatian people. And for us here at Grace, and as I apply this to my own life, let's be careful. Let's take this indwelling divine energy that the Spirit of God is to us in his person, and let's move forward walking by him. We'll describe what that means here in a little bit. And it's got tremendous ecclesiastical and personal protective power from regressing back to walking in bondage under the law or performance-based living. This is why, this is exclusively why our personal walk with God and our personal relationship with the spiritual member of this church, spiritual mentor, is so critical to you and to me and the health of our church. If we're not growing, then we're comparing we're stepping back. We're comparing the assumed success of one believer with the spiritual failure we experience, possibly. We begin to elevate some Christians as more valuable in the church than others. We begin to start talking about what they bring to the table, so to speak, spiritually, the church, as compared to what I can or can't bring to the table. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and we'll study in a few weeks together, to compare ourselves in light of ourselves is absolute foolishness. And so we're to fully take advantage of an indwelling spirit by walking by the spirit. Your version may say walking in the spirit, and that's okay. But the grammar really says here, and it's clear in our New American Standard translation, walk by the spirit. A consistent, full dependence on the presence 
and character of the divine spirit within us is walking by the spirit. This verb teaches us that it's a lifestyle, as I've already mentioned. And as we've noted by way of introduction today, saving faith is supernatural. And therefore, so is walking by the Spirit. Jesus called it being born again of the Spirit of God by the Word of God. Ezekiel describes our salvation experiences, our hearts being taken from pieces of stone to flesh. Matthew quotes Jesus telling Peter that salvation is not of man but of God. And John writes that no man can come to the Father unless their Father draws him. And of course, Jesus calls this experience a born-again experience. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Spirit of God places us in a subjective action of his own into union with Christ. The moment we're born again, he regenerates us and then indwells us with his presence, therefore granting us divine renewal and spiritual transformation immediately. And then he who is within us, who is God the Spirit, underpins all of our spiritual development from that saving moment forward. Our ability to walk by the Spirit is solely because our spiritual transformation was all of the Spirit of God. He is the divine one, the divine person of God in salvation that compels us by grace to be dependent upon him and his ability to walk in newness of life. And walking in newness of life is forward. It's a forward and it's an upward direction to be, tr- to be sure in spiritual health. This forward opportunity has a goal at the end of its existence, right? It's that heavenly country. It's really that goal of Christ-likeness that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter 3, that John speaks of in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So when we're saved, we have that initial sanctification where we're all placed into the righteousness of Christ and in union of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. Right? We walk in progressive sanctification, which is really what walking by the Spirit is, by the Spirit's power and ability within us, that same ability that miraculously saved us and renewed us and regenerated us is the ability that grows us in Christ-likeness gradually every day. We call that progressive sanctification unto the goal, under this forward directional goal of final sanctification, that someday we will be like Jesus for we'll see him as he is. This is a forward opportunity. And might I say this, this forward opportunity does include its ditches, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. There are times when um, we get stuck spiritually. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 teaches the same thing. We are to lay aside every sin and every weight that easily besets us. And in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, sometimes that takes the help of not just the indwelling of the Spirit of God, but other people around us that are indwelt by the Spirit of God who can come alongside and confront us with our error by the use of Scripture and allow the Spirit of God to convict our hearts to get us to move up out of that ditch and move forward again. 
But to be sure that the Spirit of God who regenerates us, that indwells us and empowers us to walk by Him, to be dependent upon His character, to grow towards Christ's likeness, to be sure He is resolute in His desire to compel you to divinely, can I say this, force you to be molded into the likeness of Christ. It is definitely forward towards a goal. It definitely has a direction to it. And it not only has a direction, but it has a, a struggle as well. A struggle as well. When I was in college, I had an opportunity to do some part-time roofing. Now, I will tell you this, this opportunity included two jobs, and I didn't like roofing at all. So <laughs> it was two jobs and two jobs only, and I haven't picked up uh, a stack of bagged shingles ever since. <laughs> but I remember the first time I was on the job, I was a bigger guy, and uh, apparently the big guy is supposed to carry the shingles up the ladder. And I thought, you know what, I'll just show them what I got this first time and, and um, uh, in my size, and they put some shingles on my shoulder, and, uh, and I said, right, give me another one. They gave me another one. I said, all right, I think I can get up the ladder with this. And Boy, they threw a third stack on there, and my knees buckled. There's just no way I could even walk with that kind of weight, let alone walk those shingles uh, up the ladder to get them to the roofers. I think that we need to remember in this particular contents, the context, the real struggle of the passage that Paul's already described here as we read it in verses 1 to 15. The real struggle of the context is living under the law, and no one can live under the weight of its expectations. It will buckle you. We know that. The agony of living under the law without ever being able to fully satisfy its demands is the greatest spiritual struggle for man to experience. But Christ did perfectly struggle in satisfying the demands of the law. He is the perfect law keeper. And when we're born again, we are imputed with his perfect righteousness. And before the Lord, we stand perfect in Christ, perfect law keepers only in Christ. And then by the Spirit of God, we can live righteously. But our human struggle, now that we're saved, is no longer in satisfying the demands of the law. Jesus has done that for us. It's no more performance-based living for us. Jesus is the divine performer of the law. But we do have a struggle still. The reality of our struggle remains within us and external to us. I'm not going to spend a long time here because I really want to focus on our final point this evening, which is joy, the joy of our opportunity. But let us not forget that we all have still within us a propensity to sin. Paul described this propensity uh, pretty clearly in Romans 6 and especially Romans chapter 7. On your own time, go ahead and uh, take a look at those verses again. Those things that he wanted to do, he found himself not doing. And that's what he didn't want to do, that's what he found himself doing. He, it, was, it was a confliction of purpose for sure. I think just a simple text like 1 John 1, 9 reminds us that we have a propensity to sin that, that rests within us. Else John would not have said, if we confess our sins, he's 
faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness even after we're saved. Let's not forget that there still is uh, uh, an ugly fallenness within us as fallen creatures, fallen creations. It's very, very clear in Romans chapter 5 that one man, the man Adam, brought sin into the world. And in Adam, we all sin. We're all born in sin. In sin, our mothers have conceived us. It's by our natures now to sin. And I think we need to remember that internal struggle because Paul makes it very, very much a reality again here in our text. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not find yourself gratifying or fulfilling or carrying out the desires of the flesh. It's right there in our text, this inward enemy. It's still there, this inward struggle, but it's a struggle that is, has already been won positionally in Christ and practically is daily won by walking by the Spirit. We have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, not I, but Christ lives through us. I have to remember, too, that there's an external enemy bent on our spiritual failure. We studied a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this world is very much interested in deceiving God's people. We're reminded how the Lord Jesus Christ described the wicked one in John chapter 8 as a deceiver and a liar. We're all familiar with 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is an enemy internal to us and external to us, my friends. And to be aware of those things is necessary. To, to live in fear of those is unnecessary. Because as we walk by the Spirit, we will not give way to these sinful propensities or temptations internal or external to us. This weight is bearable. What's unbearable, the context has already told us, living under the weight of the law, right? Living holy in order to get saved, it's impossible. Right? Living holy in order to stay saved is not a biblical reality. That's an impossible struggle. I want to let you know that our struggle is survivable. All by grace, all by the ability of the Spirit of God who dwells within us. But I want to finish this evening with the reality of the joy of our opportunity. The opportunity of walking by the Spirit. Earlier this morning, I had the opportunity to tell you what a great joy was to, to see you give to the Christmas offering. Our ability to obey, the, to obey the gospel and to spread the gospel more pervasively is because of your Spirit-filled sacrificial giving. Your support allows our church family to do many gospel things. And it's a great joy, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is the person 
of obedience, even the obedience of your giving. And, and being obedient and sacrificial, joyful giving is just one aspect of obedience among many other imperatival directives of living in righteousness that we have embedded in our New Testaments. But nonetheless, it brings us great joy to obey and to see the fruit of obedience, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit, as I've already said, is the person of pure obedience. He is the divine support for ours. Even in our passion, the se- even in our passage, the second listed fruit of the Spirit is joy. Is joy. Joy is the reality of the believer walking by the Spirit of God. One author that I've read recently said the great problem in contemporary Christian living is not learning the right things to do, but learning how to do the right things. So I believe learning to do the right things is to be coupled with true joy. Follow along with me here, if you can, this evening as we wrap up. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The Spirit is the source of our joy in Christ and living. So walking by the Spirit in pursuit of holiness and righteousness is joy. The doing of righteousness is coupled with the reality of joy and therefore becomes our divine incentive to walk by the Spirit who is the source of our ability to be holy. Joy has forever accompanied obedience in each believer's pursuit of holy living, hasn't it? You are never more happy in your existence than when you are walking by the Spirit of God, right? You know that. This was embodied even in our perfect Savior's human life. Philippians chapter 2, obedience. He prayed in his high priestly prayer of his own obedience and his opportunity to obey his Father in John 17. Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he obeyed, and it was joy to him. This is the nature of what it means to walk by the Spirit of God. It is joy as he compels us to walk according to his own holy virtue and his own holy nature. I just want to point out a couple devotional things here as we wrap up together our time in the Word this evening. Why don't you go down with me to verse 18. Let's check out another phrase here. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he says, as we know already in verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, I just want to point out just one devotional truth here that was an encouragement to my heart. I trust it will be an encouragement to yours as well. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And then to walk by the Spirit. Well, I think the first one grammatically teaches us within the context that the Spirit of God is the one who prompts us to be godly, to pursue righteous living. He's the divine prompter, if you will, the divine tutor unto righteous living. And then walking by the Spirit just simply means this is our desire by grace 
to live and to be dependent upon his ability as he prompts us to live righteously. This is living righteously after being prompted by the Spirit to do so. Let's recall, as we said earlier this evening, that our new birth is Spirit-promoted. It is God the Spirit promoted. I mean, Ephesians 2 is very, very clear. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive. God made us alive. It becomes the joy of the believer to live by the Spirit because we're regenerated by the Spirit, and therefore living by the Spirit is all divinely underpinned by the person of the third person of the Godhead. Think of the joy of this. The ability you and I have to do righteous things is now much more than just common grace. Being made in the image of God does not offer the ability, being made in the image of God, excuse me, does offer even unsaved men the ability to do good things. But by no means can an unsaved man live a lifestyle of righteousness without the indwelling of the Spirit of God. The lifestyle of both walking by the Spirit and living by the flesh are clearly spelled out in this passage. Paul says here, notice this, uh, this point within the text as well. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Now the deeds, your translation might say the works, and that's, that's a good literal translation as well. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and then there's that, that uh, exhaustive list of sinful activities and mindsets there listed that you're all familiar with in verse 19. But if you go down to verse 22, when we're walking by the Spirit, it's interesting here. Verse 22, it says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then we have that exhaustive list that we're all familiar with as well. I find it interesting here that when Paul discusses matters of the flesh, he attaches it to our personal effort. These are our works, but the works of the flesh are these. I find it interesting in verse 22 that when we're walking by the Spirit, that these are not our fruits, these are the Spirit's fruits. And as we're completely dependent on him, he lives and demonstrates his own and bears his own fruit through us. So we're the conduit, really. We're the channel, if you will. In these earthen broken vessels for the Spirit of God to demonstrate these virtues that we're all familiar with here in verses 22 and 23. But my goodness... When we step back and out of fellowship and communion with our Lord, right? And those ugly things occur in our minds and our hearts and in our actions. That's certainly not of the Spirit, is it? It uh, certainly is of us. Anything our fallenness does to do the deeds of unrighteousness is our work. Anything we do righteously as we live transformed lives by the Spirit is all of the Spirit because it's His fruit, not ours. So we can say growth and holiness is joy for the believer and this joy is the Spirit's 
fruit enjoyed by us. This realization brings tremendous relief and happiness to the Christian's heart, doesn't it? We are engulfed with the reality of positional joy having been imputed with the perfect righteousness of Christ and and then we are empowered to live by the Spirit as He indwells us to bear His fruit and that is the fullness of joy for the Christian in pursuing holiness. And we certainly await the presence of joy Himself forevermore in the person of Christ at his coming. Let's remember, folks, that the Holy Spirit is a person. We talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and each time you study a a proper um, theological um, book about each member of the Godhead, the first section that is necessary to be dwelt with is that they have personality. They are persons. When we walk by the Spirit, the person of the Spirit of God enables us in a personal relationship with Him to help us understand a divine direction moving forward towards Christ's likeness in this life unto final sanctification. And He is a person that is is fully and omnisciently aware of how to aid you as a person in the pursuit of that goal while you live. Do you have a relationship with the person of the Spirit of God? He's a person. What is your relationship with the person of the Spirit of God? Have you known him just to be the third person of the Godhead that is submissive to the Son, who's submissive to the Father, who can be grieved, who can be quenched? Have you known him as the person who convicts, who guides, who illuminates? Those are all good and necessary things to know, but he's a person. He's a person that desires to relate with you these these biblical realities of spiritual fruit and responsibility so that you can grow towards Christ's likeness. He's the indwelling spirit of God that is uh, there within you as you struggle with life's most difficult trials. Romans 8, he's within you to remind you of this inward struggle of the enemy within and the, and the arch enemy without. This is the person of the Spirit of God that is, is your advocate in your struggle with yourself and with the temptation of the God of this world and his, his army. And we walk dependent on the Spirit to help us with that struggle. And and it's the same person of the Spirit of God who is joy that becomes our joy as we live in the way that's descriptive 
of his name, the Holy Spirit. And that's where the believer knows true happiness while we live as pilgrims in this old world. So praise God for the way that we've all been able to walk by the Spirit in 2020. And maybe we've not been so um, successful <laughs> in some trials. If we have again been reminded of our own struggle within and the, the struggles from without, as we've described this evening in part. And, and maybe the Spirit of God, the person of God is... Um, convicted you and compelled you back to this forward direction. Maybe those trials have done their part in allowing those uglinesses within us to come to the surface so they can be addressed, cleaned off, so that we can pursue Christ's likeness with joy. So in 2021, let us continue to walk by the Spirit. To not walk by the Spirit, remember, is to regress back into performance-based Christianity. To not walk by the Spirit is to, in advance of that, adopt again a works-based salvation, to become merely religious people where truth is clear as ice and just as cold, where the struggle of the bondage of living under the weight of the law is unlivable. Let's walk by the Spirit, dependent on Him, in this direction towards Christ-likeness and addressing our struggles and to knowing what it means to be certainly and genuinely joyful as God's people. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for the simple truth of this one phrase within its context. Help us, Lord, to know the, the purpose of the person of the Spirit of God who indwells us as we walk by him in this new year. Thank you for our time together around the word. May our relationship with you and your word and each other as we walk by the Spirit grow more and more effectual in this year as it has in the past. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this evening. Lord bless you. We look forward to seeing you on Wednesday evening for prayer meeting if you can make it out. Have a good evening.